This week on Wealth Track, why interest rates matter. Credit market maven and historian James Grant shares his wisdom and perspective. He is next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, a Leg Mason company, Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, and the Fairholm Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. How much do interest rates matter? Well, after a decade of historic lows, in certain years, 5,000-year lows in interest rates, we are about to find out. They are starting to rise. A recent front-page story in the New York Times warned that within a decade, interest payments on U.S. debt may exceed the country's entire military budget. The Times reported that the Congressional Budget Office estimates that the cost of interest is on track to hit $390 billion next year, nearly 50 percent more than in 2017. After a decade of enticingly low interest rates, the world is once again awash in debt. Governments, businesses, and in some cases, individuals have loaded up. That load is becoming more burdensome. 35 years ago, financial journalist James Grant left Barron's, where he had originated the current yield column, to start his own publication called Grant's Interest Rate Observer. At the time, 30-year treasuries yielded 12 percent and three-month T-bills 9 percent. It stated editorial mission was to keep its readers abreast of the things that cause rates to rise and fall and of the forces that tilt the world toward inflation or deflation. It went on to say it intends to keep watch over the bond market, of course, but also over gold, preferred stock, bank shares, foreign exchange, commodities and other interest sensitive investments. Grants has done all that and more, and in the process has become a widely read and influential journal for professional investors. Grant himself has written several financial histories, including the Forgotten Depression, 1921, the crash that cured itself, which won the Hayek Prize, and several biographies, including John Adams' Party of One. I asked Grant to start with the basics, why interest rates matter. They are the most uh, important prices in capitalism. They discount future cash flows. They measure financial risk. You know, high rate of interest indicates a sketchy credit. And uh, they uh, set investment hurdle rates. Uh, they really matter. And uh, it's why they ought to be discovered in the marketplace rather than, uh, than kind of administered from on high. In a period as we are in today, or as we have been in, of zero interest rates, for instance, where they are, I think you told me, they are barely discernible. Right, you can hardly see them on the page. (laughs) (laughs) So the Grant's Interest Rate Observer, you've got your high-powered microscopes out. So so do do they still matter as far as when they have been... Oh, manipulated yes. to yeah. these levels. Well, they, How ma- is they, that matter, they matter in different ways. Yeah, you've seen trillions of dollars worth of sovereign bond yields price right. to yield less than nothing. So imagine the temptation to reach for yield, to, uh, to strive for uh, a return you can't get on, uh, you know, on safe, I'm going to use sneer quotes, safe investments because really mm-hmm. nothing is 
purely safe, but safer investments. Right. And uh, uh, the result, I think, has been, uh, well, well, we'll know more within three or four or five years mm-hmm. because we'll then see uh, how many white elephants were created or funded with artificially cheap credit. We'll see how much investment uh, was misdirected under the influence, uh, as it were, under the influence of artificially depressed interest rates. So, uh, you know, I think that we have all, to some degree, been living in a kind of hall of mirrors, mm-hmm. misperceiving financial facts under the influence of these very, very low interest rates. What's so interesting is that for those of us who have lived under these very low interest rates, uh, is that you know we've seen an economy recover from a serious recession. Uh, we've seen stock prices go up. We haven't seen a lot of damage in the credit markets. I mean, we're seeing you know the world economy start to right itself. So it doesn't. Uh, you know, I, I don't see this excessive speculation that you're talking about. Where are you seeing it? Or, and, and, but you said in four or five years, well, we're going to see wh- where... We, we, when, when, when the next uh, recession or right. crisis hits, then we will see how much capital was misdirected in the wrong things. So, um, so where, where do you think it's been misdirected? Because, you know, what's wrong with people investing in the stock market? And oh, they, they've certainly been investing in the bond market Absolutely. in droves. Right, right. Well, um, when you see uh, WeWork, for example, this closely held uh, most venturesome uh, enterprise that uh, leases uh, spaces and buildings and releases them to tenants. When you oh, see sure. mm-hmm. WeWork uh, issuing, office issuing debt, uh, uh, and the criterion for cash flow they use is the is the kind of the fakey one EBITDA, which is a, a very very uh, loosey goosey and made up form of cash flow. Mm-hmm. And you see them modify that further by removing costs and call it community-adjusted EBITDA. You know that you're in a very dodgy period with respect to credit. The credit standards have have been uh, have been uh, reduced, and the quality of credit has 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 fallen. So, if interest rates are are the kind of the most important financial instrument, yeah, and and also the, the most important financial reflection of what's going on in the economy, right? I mean, it's, a, it's very directly uh, related Absolutely. to it credit is, conditions and business conditions and everything correct. else. Yeah. So uh, as, as we go through this period of normalization of interest rates, as interest rates go higher, uh, is, is there a point when, when you can see that, in, in fact, that the market is, is the market starting to take over once yeah. again? Well, or, uh, we, I think we ought not to confuse the, the promise or the expressed determination to normalize with the thing itself. Uh-huh. The Fed has been reducing its outsized balance sheet uh, uh, for about a year now. And yes. It's at 5% smaller. So it's five percent. This is not approxim- incremental. Approximately, yes it's, yes. it's deliberate. Yes. And they might say that we must be deliberate at uh, being a, an important job of work we're doing. But you know, um, uh, to put the promise of normalization in context, there is still something like seven trillions worth of, of, sover- of sovereign uh, bonds that are quoted right. at less than zero. There's a yield to less than zero. Um, uh, 
the, uh, the basic federal funds rate, the, the, the short-term money market rate that uh, is quoted so widely, is as we sit is uh, kind of a 2% number. Uh, but in prior conditions of this kind of booming consumer economy and booming stock market, the, the federal funds rate would have been not at the rate of inflation or slightly below it, but would have been three percentage points above it. Wow. So rates are still very accommodative. Mm -hmm. And one might say, so, so it seems to me that you, that you can go back and look at, at, uh, at eras in which there was a true uh, depression in this country and rates were uh, kind of like they are now. So mm -hmm. we have quasi-recession or depression rates still in the context of a 4% measured rate of GDP growth, at least as measured recently, and of all-time highs in the stock market. So there's a, a terrific disconnect uh, between interest rates and what is elsewhere going on. And, uh, and that, to me, again, this is a source of distortion. Now, the distortions right. sound rather abstract, but I, th I think, I, well, I, I certainly believe that the abstraction will become all too real and present uh, and vivid. When um, the next downturn occurs. The next downturn occurs, right. yeah. You, so what, what, therefore, and, well, and people, again, people, looking at the, the, the Fed's role in in the government and in the credit markets, especially, you know, what what can what are you telling your readers to expect? Well, uh, on form, the rise uh, in the initial stages of a bond bear market, if that's what this is, a very very slow and steady paced. It took uh, rates exactly ten years to go from uh, two and a quarter in 1946 is the round number to so three and a quarter in 1956. Right. Now, already we have gone, on the 10-year, we've gone from one and three-eighths to three. Three. So rates have more than doubled in the course of two years. Mm -hmm. So the, the tempo or the cadence now would seem a little more brisk, if indeed this is the start of a lengthy upcycle in rates. Um, and and so you, what else? What, sorry, sorry. Are you seeing an impact from that? I mean, that's a big increase. We're still at, you know, everyone looks at the, the numbers and they say, oh, 3%, it's really... That's still pretty low, but the increase is huge. So are you seeing any sort of an impact from that kind of an increase in? You're, you're seeing it. You're, yeah, you're, where are you you're seeing, seeing it? I think, there, I think mortgage activity has been. Has uh, declined. Has, has been, uh, has been uh, de depressed or at the margin. Dampened. By, mm -hmm. Yeah, dampened. Right. Um, I think uh, companies that uh, have borrowed at floating rates yes. are now having to rebudget. You know, the federal government is, uh, has got some debt. And it right. has been paying the most concessionary rates, I think less than 2% on average. So if the, uh, if the interest bill of the federal government were to go back to a, so what's an average interest rate? Say 6%. If you go back to 6% on uh, what, uh, 18 or 20 trillion of marketable yeah, we'll public be debt. Well, right. the, the interest bill would, would, uh, would surpass the defense budget, certainly, right. in size. So, the, so you're right, the, 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 on, to look at, a, at, at number three, you think, oh, that's, that's a small number. <laughs> but, and, and it is small uh, as measured against the evident rate of inflation. Though since uh, the past 50 or so years, the 10-year the Treasury security has yielded something like 2.7% in excess of the rate of inflation on average, something like that. 
So the rate of inflation now is generously reckoned, let's call it uh, two, mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. not three, but where it has been close to recently, but takes two. So that, that would make the 10-year yield not at three-ish, but at four and a half-ish right. or higher. Right. And that would, I think that would truly bite. So um, people say, for that reason, it can't happen. It can't happen. We, we can't afford that. Well, just because it would be inexpedient doesn't mean <laughs> it can't happen. But that's another reason for the Fed kind of to do everything in its power not to allow well, it acceptance, to happen, right? Well, don't, don't forget that, that uh, perhaps the, the single most important driver of longer-term interest rates is the rate of inflation. Now, yes. if the Fed were to try to suppress these rates through the creation of more dollars Mm -hmm. and through the suppression of shorter-term interest rates against the direction of business activity, which is onward and upward now, Mm -hmm. might that not seed a new inflation? There's some signs already of latent inflation. To to credit Grant's interest rate observer and your observations thereof, uh, you basically wrote about the excesses in home mortgages in 2006 and 2007. You recognized the dangers in the markets then. And then in the bottom, uh, near the bottom, it wasn't quite the bottom, in December of 2008, you came out with a what you called your grants supermodel credit portfolio. Um, you who are not prone to hyperbole, the supermodel <laughs> credit portfolio, in which you were recommending buying, you know, bonds and investment-grade corporates and bank loans and residential mortgage-backed securities and convertible bonds and junk bonds when the whole world started to fall apart. So where are we in the cycle now, oh, we 10 are, years later? And, we and are is, you, is there a grants call out there? For utterly and unconditionally bearish on credit. We are bearish on credit, meaning the promise to pay money, yes. and also on interest rates, which are the pure rates quoted in the Treasury yield curve. We're bearish on it for many number. How much time do we have to go <laughs> So are you actually worried about that, that companies, that there are a lot of companies out there that may be of dubious credit quality, might not be able to service their debt? Oh, might, sure. And well, not, the the government not, might not be able to service its debt. And I, at the risk of sounding stone-hearted, I'm not worried about it. I'm, 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 I'm impatient for the manifestation of this cycle. You know, come, right. come, I, I want the cycle to turn. I want the liquidation to begin. I want the weak spots to be exposed. Not like it's my self-interest, as somebody has been talking about this for what seems like forever. Uh, but the longer these things Longer these upside, longer the, the, the misallocation of credit goes on, the, right. worse, the worse the down cycle is. I see. And one of the one of the problems with the Fed's ministrations in this cycle, it has perpetuated the lives of marginal companies. A surprisingly large percentage of listed companies, both in this country and elsewhere in the world, are unprofitable. Thirty percent of the Russell 2000, according to Royce Associates, yeah. don't make any money. Chuck presented that uh, datum at Chuck one of Royce. our yes. yeah, it was, it was, it was. Astonishing. And, 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 and even revenues aren't adequate to cover, never mind earnings, or, cat, or revenues in many cases aren't adequate to cover, uh, cover interest expense or would not be in the mm-hmm. event of a slight uptick in rates or a downtick in revenue owing to a recession. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm expectant. I'm not worried. I'm, I'm, I've been watching these cycles and writing about them and reading for like, well, see, I'm a... 106 years old. Yeah, <laughs> for a long time, and I, I, I am, I am, I'm chomping, cha- I'm champing, champing, I'm champing at the bit for the cycle to turn, so we get on to the next thing. Right. I eagerly await the opportunity to buy things at discounts. 
these, these securities that are just priced for a state of human perfection, which state, Consuela, was ever so rare. Mm-hmm. And, and so in the meantime, how does one make money in, mar- in, in the credit markets? Oh, you, I mean, is it the, the, the way the real money that's going to be made, I think, in the next, I, here, I, I'm not going to give you a date because I couldn't, but the, the real money to be made is, first of all, harboring, husbanding cash. Right. Secondly, husbanding, and more important, husbanding patience. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard because somebody, uh, you know, th- th- there are bargains in the world today. There are, you know, some bargains, there's some things that are mispriced uh, uh, and promised. So you, you can't walk around with 100% cash because you know something's going to come around the corner and be even better. Um, but something will happen. Mm-hmm. And mispriced securities will turn into bargains. Today's short sales will become tomorrow's fabulous once-a-cycle bargain. And that's, in, that's when you really make money in credit to these bonds trading at 50 and 40 and, four, and 30 cents in the dollar. I can't, I can't wait. But how great is how ghoulish can we get? Um, you have a reputation as a perma-bear which is not the case. Now, people have not checked but with you my do, PR department I know, on that. I know, you know. But, you, but you are a critical observer of, God help us, politicians and you know, yeah, government I, officials and, and monetary I, I officials. I plead guilty, and, yes. Uh, yes, and, and economists and Wall Street. Yeah. So, uh, which, so who are you most critical of <laughs> now? Who's causing the most damage, do you think, now in the economy or financial markets? Oh, I mean, to begin with, I I think that we can all agree that uh, money is not humanity's best subject. Mm -hmm. And uh, money often brings out the worst in all of us. And people talk about uh, behavioral finance as if it were kind of a science, but it's it's, it's like romantic. It's like the science of of romance, right? There is none. You know, it's... it's, uh, um, people write books about it, but still, people do not make rational decisions because with they, money, they, with money or with right. love, yeah. So, so that's that's to begin with. So, who, whom to blame for our difficulties in finance? Well, we have had. Uh, I'm about ready to last to uh, to lay into the central bankers, but by way of preface, let me observe that we have had cycles of excess, both the upside and the downside, for. Going back to 1825 in England, which I think is mm-hmm. kind of the, the, that's the first modern credit liquidation and banking panic. Um, so that's, that's, we can round that off, say, 200 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, uh, that's the first 100 years of that experience was one without the Federal Reserve. Okay, so that's by, that's by way of acknowledging that we humans will overdo it, both yes. the upside and the okay. So <laughs> with, who's to blame? With help or without the help with, of central with, banking right. authorities. So the people to blame generally are the people who set the incentives. Right. If you if you know who sets the incentives, you will know who is responsible to agree to an important degree for uh, for decisions, both good and bad. So who has set in motion the uh, uh, decisions uh, throughout the markets that uh, you really must get out of uh, bank deposits and CDs and you really mm-hmm. must get into equities and help the country through the wealth effect? Though that, that those people were the, the heads of uh, our central banks especially the central bank, and particularly the central banker named Ben Esbernaki. This was his, mm-hmm. he, was the, he was the spokesperson. I dare say he was not the only one who believed it, but he told America that they must get into common stocks, that they ought to. And he, and he encouraged everyone to, uh, 
to uh, help lend a hand with the, uh, the, the, the trickle-down theory then called the, uh, well, I forgot there's some fancy name for it, but uh, the, uh, uh, the portfolio balance channel effect. That was it. But he was right that we should have gotten involved in the stock market, and a lot of people didn't, and they have not participated uh, I, in this phenomenal bull market that we've he had. He was correct right. in the what ought to buy low and sell high. He was correct yes. by implying, and indeed perhaps by saying, that America is a great country and that enterprise earns money which, when compounded over time in the mm-hmm. stock market, will make an investor very, very happy he, she invested. All that is correct. Right. And Warren where Buffett I, would have said I, the same thing. Where I fault great. the Federal Reserve is using... Right is nationalizing or socializing financial markets in the interest of public policy. Mm. The Federal Reserve has no business in steering people into the market. It has business in setting or helping us set prices that are discovered through the laws of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. The Fed now owns the market. The Fed owns, I'm not sure it won't acknowledge the moral responsibility, but, but we are now talking, you and I, we're talking at the time of new highs. Everything is lovely. The sky is clear. There's scarcely a cloud the size of a man's <laughs> hand on the horizon. Well, the Fed doesn't own the stock market, but the, it does the, own the a Fed lot of the The Fed owns the market. responsibility, uh-huh. has the moral responsibility for directing people into the stock market that would not have gone there before. Suitability was a criterion mm-hmm. of the honest and capable broker, right? Yes. So Notice that the Fed was, was inviting us all into the stock market, inviting us. Uh, you know, so I, anyway, I, I, am, I am over-droning on my, I've, I've, I've indicted the Fed at huh? much longer length and with uh, many fewer hems and haws in the written pages of grants. But I think in some, Consuelo, the Fed ought not to be treating interest rates in particular as instruments of national policy. Mm-hmm. They ought to be prices as discovered. If there's one investment that we should all own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio, what would it be? Oh, I'm going to not disappoint you, Consuelo. In this day and age, we should own a little bit of gold or some gold because it never goes to zero. And gold, the actually the bullion, the bullion or an ETF or? Well, I, uh, why not own the real McCoy? And, uh, you know, it, it outyields almost $7 trillion worth of sovereign debt. You know that? That's <laughs> negative interest rates. Yes, that is and, a very and, good point. And it is, the, uh, it is one's uh, anchor. And, and by the way, the purpose of owning this is not necessarily to pass it on to the grandchildren. The purpose of owning gold is to have cash when others don't and to avail oneself of bargains. It's not, it's not, there's nothing mysterious or nothing, mm-hmm. nothing mystical about it. I don't, uh, I mean, I own this stuff in the expectation that there will be a come a time that I, I'm going to want to buy something cheap, illiquid. Right. It might be a bond. It, I will, I will, I will to. liquidate my gold, gold. or most mm-hmm. of it. I hope I have the opportunity and the, mm-hmm. and the courage to do it and to buy something that's flat on its uh, backside. Right. Like a building. Can you imagine a building on its backside having tipped over like this? And lying flat there on the ground, cheap because it's on, its, you know, but, but buying a, 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 uh, an income producing asset um, after a credit liquidation. That right. is, 
I hope to live that long, Consuelo. I'm, I'm eating properly and getting a lot of exercise in the expectation of being there when this happens. I'm not sure I want it to happen. I want you to live that long, but I'm not sure I want it to happen. Jim Grant, thank you so much. And a happy anniversary for the 35th anniversary thank of Grant's you, Interest Rate Observer. <laughs> At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is Grant's contrarian one. It is own some gold. Barron's recently devoted a cover story to the precious metal, Rediscovering Gold and Why the Out-of-Favor Metal Should Be Part of Your Investment Portfolio. It made a compelling case. Gold is unloved. It's underperformed at a time when other financial assets have soared. It's relatively cheap, off 35% from its 2011 high of $1,900 an ounce. It is a hedge against inflation, which will be useful as inflation picks up from historically low levels here and abroad. And with stocks at record highs, it is a non-correlated asset. When stock prices fall, which they will eventually do, gold will rally. The easiest way to buy gold is through ETFs, and Barron suggested two. The iShares Gold Trust, symbol IAU, which has lower fees than the traditional older and larger choice, Spider Gold Trust, symbol GLD. As we have said many times on WealthTrack, gold is also an insurance policy against possible disaster, some unforeseen crisis which is bound to occur when least expected. Well, next week, Asia investment pioneer Mark Headley joins us for an exclusive update on the promise and perils of investing in China. You will not want to miss that. To see this program again and other WealthTrack interviews, including our extra interviews, please visit our website, WealthTrack.com. And for those of you who enjoy communicating on social media, please connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for watching. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.